Hi everyone, I'm your co-host Rebecca. And I'm your co-host Rach. Welcome to another episode of Ember Island Sayers. This episode we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 4, The Warriors of Kyoshi. Aang, Katara, and Sokka travel to Kyoshi Island, where an encounter with a group of women leads Sokka to get in touch with his warrior side. Meanwhile, Aang reaps the benefits of being the Avatar, much to Katara's disdain, until Zuko arrives on the island's shores. Dun dun dun! What did we learn this episode, Rach? In this episode, I learned not to ride the Yunagi because it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is really not fun. In this episode, I learned uh, that you should think of the fan as an extension of your arm. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Some lessons there from uh, our warriors of Kyoshi. Yes, our wonderful warriors. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk a lot about them because they're very cool. Yes, they are. But before that, we wanted to talk a little bit about one of the people behind the scenes. Yes, yes. So Giancarlo Volpe directed this episode and he directed, I think, 19 episodes of Avatar in total and was a storyboard artist. I recently kind of discovered him on Twitter. <laughs> he's really cool. I just think he's a really awesome person all around and his tweets are fun because they give insight into the behind the scenes stuff on Avatar and he was the one that storyboarded the panel for Foaming Mouth Guy who <laughs> is a fan favorite <laughs> yeah he's a fan favorite and has become kind of iconic meme within the Avatar fandom so <laughs> Yeah, I think it seems like Giancarlo Volpe is also a big influence in the, the style of the show because he's directed so many episodes. So one of the things that I've heard people say a lot is that TV is a writer's medium and film is a director's medium, right? Mm, okay. I think what people are trying to say when they say that is that it seems like the writers or the showrunners, who are often writers as well, have more control over TV, mm -hmm. whereas in film the director has a lot more control. In TV you often get different directors brought in to do different episodes, so it's not quite the same thing. But there are often directors that come back frequently and I feel like those directors are the ones that can really put their stamp on a show. I guess we should watch for future episodes that he's directed and kind of see which important ones he's directed throughout the course of this show. He tweeted that he was mostly behind the drawing and editing of storyboards. So he didn't do any of the animation specifically, but he did really create the characters in a lot of ways. I mean, that's something I'm not as familiar with, which is how animation, how TV animation works. I don't know a lot about the behind the scenes of that, but I would imagine that storyboarding is a big part of the creative direction of the show. Yes. <laughs> I think it's worth mentioning too that Giancarlo Volpe also went on to work on Star Wars Clone Wars, the animated show. With Dave Filoni. <laughs> With Dave Filoni, who we mentioned in the first episode. He directed the, the first two episodes of Avatar. So clearly there is a lot of, uh, I guess, Star Wars Clone Wars blood in Avatar. It kind of makes me want to watch Star Wars Clone Wars, but... I know, me too. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of similar people involved. And I've heard it's really good, so... I have as well. I just... I prefer the art style, I guess, in Avatar than I do to that, but I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> yeah, because that's CGI, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. I'm personally a little bit more inclined towards Star Wars Rebels because I'm not as interested in the prequel characters as I am <laughs> in the later trilogy characters. But I think Star Wars, from what I've heard, Star Wars Clone Wars does a good job of fleshing out some characters that maybe in the prequel trilogy of Star Wars didn't get as well fleshed out. I did watch a few episodes of it. I watched the Darth Maul sort of storyline and that was cool because it gave some backstory to him and we don't really get that in the, the prequels. We just kind of, he's just kind of this cool villain that everybody wanted to know more about and they gave it to us in Clone Wars. So that was pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. 
But yeah, in summary, we like Giancarlo Volpe a lot. And I think his direction in this episode is really good. I agree. (laughs) He's really good at the humor. I feel like this episode really started to dig deeper into the what makes Avatar so hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a good point. This episode was very funny. And maybe that's a good place for us to start with talking about it because the first part is not very funny because it starts out with Zuko just kind of alone and he's finding out where the Avatar is, is going. I, I thought that Zuko in this episode was kind of a step backwards from the last episode because in the last episode we got to see more of Zuko as a more nuanced character and mm-hmm. in this episode he was very just kind of a one note villain. Yeah, he was. And it it was kind of funny to me because he keeps getting routinely, like, owned by Aang. <laughs> like, he, he keeps saying, I'm not going to underestimate this guy again. And then Aang just shows up and is kind of like, okay, get out of my way. <laughs> like, kind of like a fly, just like swat the fly away sort of thing. He's really not a threat. He really hasn't been. I mean, he he was a threat in some ways because he was burning down the village, right? But mm. to Aang, like, I don't feel like they're very well matched. <laughs> no, I don't think so. We, I don't think we get that impression. I, I mean, I guess they they wanted their focus to not be on him for this episode. But I did feel like it was kind of jarring because of the last episode where we had so much depth added to him and then for this episode for him to just be the villain again is a little jarring to me oh okay i can see that but as i said i get that that wasn't the story for this episode the story was very centered on the the main trio <laughs> yes yeah, so we won't linger too much with him but i did just want to have iroh's food and beverage corner because i feel like <laughs> i have to have one every episode now and mention that iroh was very upset because there was some fish which i think was maybe salmon i don't know that zuko was eating and he just stands up and leaves and then iroh is like are you gonna finish that and zuko is says that he'll come back and have it later and iroh seems very disappointed (laughs) iroh you're such a legend (laughs) yeah i did kind of want to point out something and that was we did see a little bit of iroh's strength demonstrated in the last episode and something that i noticed this time around when i watched is that iroh doesn't show up on kiyoshi island to help at all and it's funny to me that he does have these skills that he can put into use but he chooses to just not (laughs) use them yeah that kind of goes back to i think like right in the first few episodes i was saying how interesting it is that he's presented as very sympathetic even in the middle of a bunch of other villains the fire nation we understand them to be antagonistic right and and yet iroh for some reason is not and i feel like that was kind of clever how they did that yeah yeah, it is. I won't give too much away, but it's, it's some good foreshadowing for the future, so. Nice. Yeah, so I hopefully we'll, we will go back to a little bit more depth with the Fire Nation people. But for this episode, we're focusing on our main trio. I, I love the development of all three of them in this episode. There's quite a bit of character development for the trio. There is, yeah. And in their relationships with each other, too. Mm -hmm. What I also liked about this episode was I felt like it was very... It was structured in a very interesting way because a lot of stuff that happens later in the episode is foreshadowed in the beginning of the episode. Mm. And even, like, the broader themes. So a big theme of this episode, I think, is, you know, gender stereotypes and challenging gender stereotypes. And we start right at the beginning with that very funny scene with uh, (laughs) Katara doing her sewing, right? Yes. (laughs) It's funny because my brother, my younger brother is watching Avatar for the first time as well. And he was talking to me about that scene and he said, that scene reminded me of you and me, like you or Katara throwing the pants back at me when I say something sexist. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) 
Yeah, I really liked that scene for a few reasons. I thought that it it was cool to see Katara doing the sewing because even though it is a traditionally feminine thing, I think it's also a sign of her maturity, right? That she's already had to grow up pretty quickly and has to know how to do things like sew up somebody's, you know, pants if they are ripped. <laughs> Or, you know, just take care of people, which is, is a theme that I think goes through this episode, too, of, of her taking care of other people. Yes, she is extremely motherly and a really good caretaker. And I think she actually enjoys that role. It's just don't force her into that role sort of thing. Right. And don't define her by that. Like, right. Mm-hmm. She's not just that. And she also, I think, recognizes that not all women are that. Yes. So I, I thought that was really cool. Then you already get the kind of soccer making these assumptions about her because she's a girl. And then that kind of foreshadows what happens later with the with the warriors of Kyoshi too. I was thinking a lot about Sokka and how he hasn't really had a female mentor. Like he looks up mostly to his father who has been absent for a couple of years and their mother died when he was pretty young. So I feel like that plays into what he believes about women. The Southern Water Tribe's traditions play into that as well. I don't think his father would outright say, like, women should do this and men should do this, but it's what's perceived and what Sokka has noticed over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. A minor spoiler, but we will find out that the Northern Water Tribe is even more strict in their uh, gender roles. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) So it's part of their society. It really seems to be ingrained into their society. Yes. That's interesting. And also the fact that Katara is so against it is also kind of interesting because she grew up in the same society, right? Right. But she clearly has her own ideas about things yeah she's awesome (laughs) well I wonder if she got those from somebody or if yeah I just wonder where that came from that will be revealed later (laughs) cool cool okay I'm looking forward to that yeah I wasn't sure if it would be or not but I'm looking forward to maybe learning more about her family and her background I think that would be interesting Mm -hmm. so should we talk about the warriors of Kyoshi then sure because we kind of gone into talking about Sokka and his him discovering that gender stereotypes not quite what they seem. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. He's just <laughs> pretty much grown up surrounded by these stereotypes and <laughs> they're getting very challenged in this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it is really cool the way that they're introduced and there is a lot of comedy in that moment too right when when they get kind of caught by the the warriors Mm -hmm. which you were talking about in this episode has a lot more comedy i i really liked them as a concept and i liked everything about them i liked their design the way that they have this arm uh, and then they also have the makeup which i was thinking about the significance of that and i i feel like the makeup is is another form of armor right Mm-hmm. I guess there's a tradition in other cultures of of wearing makeup on the battlefield and it's kind of meant to scare your enemy and intimidate them and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think it also gives them a sense of unity because they all have this uniform makeup look and it does draw back to Avatar Kyoshi who they follow as their leader even though she's been gone for <laughs> a few centuries. I thought that was cool too about bringing in the legacy of another avatar because we just learned about that in the last episode so then having one so prominently displayed in this island I thought was was pretty cool. Yeah. Is she an earthbender? Yes, Kyoshi was an earthbender so she was before Roku. Okay. Yeah, that's what I, I figured because there was a lot of green. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> in this episode. So I was like, I think it's a kind of like Earth Kingdom territory. And then I looked at the map and it seems like we're off the coast of the Earth Kingdom, right? Yeah. It was interesting because a lot of the villagers were wearing blue, but then the Kyoshi warriors were obviously in the earthbending Kyoshi attire. So 
Yeah, they were wearing blue. That's true. But they their outfits were very much distinguished from like Katara and uh, Sokka's outfits. So I think it wasn't too confusing. Mm-hmm. Something else that I thought was really cool about the Warriors of Kyoshi was I like how the music... So I did my homework, right? Last episode, <laughs> I said that I was going to focus on the music uh, a little bit more. And I liked how the music matched their movements. Especially when in the training scenes with Sokka, every time somebody moved, you got the, the music cues kind of seemed to follow that. And I really liked that as well. I thought that was cool. I think the thing that I noticed most this time around is them using their opponent's clothing as weapons. I didn't really pick up on that before. So yeah, in the scene where they ambush Katara and Sokka and Aang, they pull Katara's hood over her head so that she can't see. And then when Sokka comes in to try to fight them, (laughs) Suki pulls Sokka's belt out of the loop and uses that as a weapon against him. And I thought that was really cool taking something that you wouldn't perceive as a weakness and using it against your opponent. That's so interesting. I hadn't even picked up on that. That's so cool. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that when I watched it before. But this time around, I was really looking for the little details and that stood out to me really cool yeah and i i guess that's kind of part of what the thinking of the fan is an extension of your arm i guess that kind of comes into that too right also it's another kind of clothing item Mm, yeah that is being used as a weapon as well i just love how they sort of use femininity as a weapon yeah it was great and i really liked Sokka's apology to them when he when he asked to be trained i thought it was it was a good example of an apology, which, you know... It was. <laughs> I have to say, sometimes it's hard to find. It is. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Because <laughs> he was genuinely like, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I am humbling myself and asking you to teach me. Yeah, I like that he physically put himself in a vulnerable position too, like kneeling in front of them to say, you know, I respect you. And that's... That, I feel like that's really rare in <laughs> in media. <laughs> and I I thought the episode overall handled the challenging of the gender stereotypes really well. The one thing I wasn't uh, kind of a little bit unsure about was when he puts on the outfit and Aang goes by and quips, Hey, Sokka, nice dress. <laughs> that part, I was just like, I don't know if this is necessary. But I think... It's just Aang sort of not really understanding what's going on in that situation. Yeah, I don't even think Aang meant it as an insult. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) It's just Aang being Aang. (laughs) And Sokka kind of takes it as an insult, which shows that he's not fully, you know, transformed yet. He's still learning, right? Yes. (laughs) Although it's funny because... It, like historically skirts particularly have been an important attire for warriors in battle because you do have more freedom of movement in a skirt mm-hmm. yeah so like i know like roman warriors wore like a, a kind of a similar kind of thing and i don't know that much about kind of japanese warriors but i i think that you know you also have outfits that we would probably call a skirt um mm-hmm. that again are there for freedom of movement Yeah, I guess it's just another example of Sokka not really seeing that before. So he's taking it at face value as this is a feminine thing. But it's good that he opens his (laughs) worldview in this episode. He's making progress. We're proud of you, Sokka. (laughs) We are. The bar is pretty low, but we're still proud of you. And then he ends up him having a little flirtation with Suki as well, which is kind of cute. You know, if Suki learns to forgive him, then we can learn to forgive him. (laughs) (laughs) Because really, he insulted her the most out of anybody. But she, she does see this softer side to him and this kinder side to him, which is great. And he ends up apologizing again at the end, saying, you know, I should have treated you like a warrior. And I love her line. She says, I'm a warrior, but I'm a girl, too. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, I also really like that because it's, again, that kind of idea that it's not one thing or the other, which I think often happens to women, right? You get put into this camp like, you so you don't fight, right? Or somebody who dates around a lot or you're somebody who is like a pure perfect virgin, right? Right. 
And I think it's nice that she's like, you know, you can be both things. You can be a girl and be a warrior at the same time. I'm not sure what Suki's canon age is supposed to be. She always struck me as like a little bit older than Sokka, just because she has more wisdom. <laughs> and, and she's also the leader of the Kyoshi warriors, which is quite an important role. But I'm not sure. I would have to see what her canon age is in the show. I mean, she's certainly close in age to him, I think. Mm -hmm. But a little bit older. I wouldn't be surprised if she was a little bit older. I feel like the the theme of kind of very early romantic feelings, I feel like was another theme of this episode. Because I think Katara and Aang also... This, to me, was the first episode where you really started to see the possibility of romantic feelings developing between them. Yeah, and I don't even think they recognized that. (laughs) No, no, I don't think so either. I think they're just sort of acting this way, but they don't really understand why yet. I think particularly with Aang, because this is the first female attention that he's really got (laughs) in any capacity because he grew up with monks his entire life. The little girl's like showing him (laughs) affection and adoration. He's like, oh, okay, this is new. Yeah, that's true. And he he doesn't really understand it as well as Katara does, which because she understands it better is why she gets a little bit jealous. Because she sort of, even before it all starts going a little crazy, she's like, I just hope you won't let it go to your head. Mm -hmm. Because I think she already has a little bit more of an idea. But she probably doesn't recognize in herself why she's feeling that way. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) She rolls her eyes and she... (laughs) I loved Katara's expressions in this episode, first of all. They were just so great because her irritated face (laughs) is so relatable. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, I don't think she realizes that it might err on the side of romantic a little bit. They're both so young, so it's hard for you to recognize what those feelings are when they first crop up. Mm-hmm, I think so. But I think Aang's even from very early on in the episode when he's trying to show off to Katara, I think that is also part of that, is, you know, he's trying to get her attention. Yeah. I think it also contrasts, again, uh, her maturity and everything that she's had to deal with versus him being stuck in an iceberg for 100 years. Right. <laughs> I think it's it's also an indication of that. But I do think him wanting to show off to her specifically, I think might also have to do with his developing feelings for her. Like he liked the idea of the other girls paying attention to him, but it was ultimately Katara who he wanted attention from. It's true. It's true. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to go do this dangerous thing, Katara. Will you come watch me? She's like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was very good do we want to take this moment then to talk about unagi (laughs) sure when i was watching this the whole time all i could think of was a a very specific friends episode which they talk about unagi if you haven't watched friends and if you haven't then i suggest going to netflix while it's still on there and watching it there is an episode where phoebe and rachel have been to a self-defense class and they are just talking about it and ross decides to involve himself in their conversation and talks about something called unagi which he says is a state of total awareness unagi is an eel it's a freshwater eel (laughs) it's what it actually means in japanese and uh, he just gets mocked throughout the whole episode for his concept of unagi and gets told that it's an eel that's all i could think about when i kept hearing unagi in this episode yeah it was funny because i went back and i rewatched it after Rebecca mentioned the Friends episode because I didn't remember that. (laughs) Ross could definitely learn a thing or two from Sokka about humbling himself and... (laughs) It's true, the themes are surprisingly relevant to Avatar. It it was weirdly similar. (laughs) Except Ross is nowhere near as likable or mature as Sokka, which is kind of sad because Sokka's a 16-year-old kid. (laughs) And I mean, he's also in a sitcom, so... True. (laughs) He has to be funny 
And and that's a period of Friends where Ross has definitely gone much more towards the comedic side. <laughs> but within the episode, he's really a jerk to Phoebe and Rachel and is belittling them for what they are saying and the fact that they're take- they've taken this self-defense class and he basically thinks that it's nonsense because he has unagi and he has this state of total awareness but then they get the jump on him later in the episode so they kind of parallel uh suki in this episode i think that yes you're, you're right that uh ross could definitely learn some lessons from soccer <laughs> unagi in this episode is an eel isn't actually an eel a very large eel <laughs> yeah a giant eel I-, I think it was one of the things that i noticed in this episode as well was how the the creatures and I, I guess I'd noticed it before, but there are a lot of creatures that are similar to creatures that we have in our world, but then there's kind of a twist on them. So like the rhinos are kind of different to what we would expect. Mm-hmm. The lemur, obviously Momo. Actually, Momo wasn't in this episode very much. He kind of like lurked in every scene. <laughs> oh, he was just in the background. It was like an Easter egg, like find Momo in this scene. <laughs> like where's Waldo? <laughs> yes, where's Momo? <laughs> Where's Momo? Fun fact, in the UK, Where's Waldo is not Where's Waldo, it is Where's Wally. So I grew up with Where's Wally. <laughs> but yeah, Where's Momo? I like that. They should release some books with like these like, massive oh crowd scenes. Oh that'd be so cute. Right? <laughs> and you need to find Momo. Like all of Kyoshi, like gathered around Aang or something. And then you have to find Momo in the crowd. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Make it happen. Do it. Oh, can we talk about Foaming Mouth Guy now that we've talked about crowds and Kyoshi? Yes, please. <laughs> we need to talk about Foaming Mouth Guy because I had heard about Foaming Mouth Guy before I watched this show. He is a legend. So let me read the tweet that Giancarlo made about him. <laughs> please, please do. I'm so excited. He said, I drew the storyboard panel for this shot, although in my version, I just had the guy faint off screen. The animators went wild with it and made him foam at the mouth for several seconds. We were all cracking up and said, approved. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I also love the sound effect when he's foaming at the mouth. It just makes it even better. Yeah, the animators really went ham with that. And I love that they just completely made it so exaggerated and hilarious. It's just, it's such a weird thing to do. And yet it works so well. And I always say that uh, the character that I can relate the most to in Avatar is Foaming Mouth Guy because whenever Aang does anything, that's just my reaction. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) He's very good. And his face too, when he is doing that little trick, is also pretty funny. Oh yes, the marble trick. Yeah. That comes back into play (laughs) a few times. Yeah, there are quite a few memeable moments in this episode. I also like how that was the thing that made Foamy Mouth Guy foam at the mouth. It wasn't (laughs) anything else that Aang did beforehand. Aang like flew 30 feet in the air and gently like (laughs) floated down to earth. And Foamy Mouth Guy was just like, whatever. But then Aang does it. Watch this! And he does the marble trick and Foamy Mouth Guy goes nuts, which is pretty hilarious. Yeah, I have so much approval for that scene. (laughs) And I'm so glad that I have now seen it (laughs) in context. (laughs) The other thing that I wanted to talk about in terms of Kyoshi, since we're kind of talking a little bit about the the people on there, it's only mentioned briefly at the beginning that Kyoshi has kind of stayed out of any fights. And so I wanted to kind of compare Kyoshi to something like Switzerland. In staying out of the fight, are you... I mean, we don't have to talk about this on a global scale, but in the t- in the world of Avatar, in staying out of the fight, are they somehow complicit in what has happened to... Uh, presumably the rest of the Earth Kingdom is not doing so great. It's kind of... I'm sorry. <laughs> so I don't want to, like, spoil too much, but the Earth Kingdom has not entirely been conquered. And the Earth Kingdom is doing a lot better than some of the other kingdoms so they are actually like still kind of in this fight and their numbers greatly outnumber the fire nation like if you look at the map of the avatar world like the fire nation is pretty small Mm. and the earth kingdom is very very large (laughs) a lot of the earth kingdom has actually stayed out of the war 
Oh, okay. Kyoshi Island is not an exception. It's kind of the norm for the Earth Kingdom. Okay, so they're not Switzerland. No, but that is a good question that you raise in them sort of, (laughs) you know, throwing their hands up and being like, okay. But I think that's something that the characters will have to grapple with in the future because how do you have that kind of manpower and even technology to not to the fire nations degree but they do have quite a bit of technology in the earth kingdom and they just kind of let the air nomads be slaughtered basically yeah absolutely and they also have you know these amazing warriors Mm -hmm. and if they're not participating in the war, then I do wonder, you know, why do they have these warriors in the first place? Mm, yeah, it almost feels like performative. Mm-hmm. We'll <laughs> emanate the avatar, but we are we going to help the avatar? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel, yeah. I feel like the Earth Kingdom did a lot of like waiting around for the avatar, which isn't really cool. <laughs> So are you saying that they're more like the United States and they'll join the fight in the last minute? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a dig at the United States. Uh, I'm British and Britain has also done many, many, many terrible things. So We do joke around in the UK um, when it comes to the, the world wars and the fact that the US joined later. I mean, I think that's fair. <laughs> Obviously, I don't want to victim blame of course when it comes to the earth kingdom but we will get to see the class disparity within the earth kingdom and how that affects who's been involved with the war and who's kind of been sheltered from it as well oh okay that's super interesting yeah i'm looking forward to because we talked about the fire nation as well last time and i'm looking forward to seeing more of about what is going on within each kingdom among the people who are not directly involved in the fight which we got a little bit of today because we got to see like how people revered the avatar and how they treated him once they knew who he was yeah and i did just want to say that this is all adding to my ang as a superhero theory <laughs> because one of the things that i think is really interesting in this is ang's sense of responsibility mm, yeah in what happens to Kiyoshi because he doesn't even realize at first that just him being there is a danger to the island. I thought it was really cool how he learns over the course of this episode that, you know, he he sees both sides of kind of being the avatar, right? The kind of the fame and the fact that he's revered and everyone loves him. And then he also sees that the devastation that it can cause. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the Spider-Man quote, which is with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really the first time that Aang sees the consequences of his actions directly affecting people. And I think that really helps him to gain a better perspective of what being the avatar is it's really cool to see his growth yeah as we kind of go through and his literal growth right because he's been kind of frozen (laughs) for a hundred (laughs) years right (laughs) so we're literally seeing him kind of grow up and and mature i just wanted to point out that this episode is a great example of ang learning lessons on an episode by episode basis and I think that comes into play a lot with people not being able to relate to him very well. I don't know. When I've interacted with the fandom, people have had a a hard time kind of wrapping their heads around Aang as a character. And I think that part of that is he is already a very good person and he's just trying to better himself every day. And I think it's easier for people to swallow a character more like Zuko, who's struggling every day and has more of an overarching path to his story. Whereas Aang, it's kind of like little ups and downs along the way. It's it's not as turbulent a narrative, right? Mm, Yeah. And so some could perceive that as being a little bit more boring. Sure. But it is also 
I think, a realistic narrative. And what, that's what's something that's nice about TV shows, too, is because with a movie, I think you're under more pressure to have the characters go through an arc within a movie. Mm-hmm. And with a TV show, what's nice is that you do get these episode-by-episode episode changes and you get to see characters grow. Of course, the problem then can be, in some cases, if it's a long-running TV show, is that you don't want the characters to change too much. Mm-hmm. You know, Friends, we were talking about earlier, is a good example. <laughs> because sometimes you don't want the characters to change too much because it's a sitcom and you want them to stay in their roles. But if you can do that and also get them to grow at the same time, that's really ideal. And I think that's also why there's a tendency nowadays for a lot of TV shows to only run for a certain number of seasons. When Lost was airing, they had a a time when they were really running out of material. They had to keep talking to their network about an end date because they said, we can't make this show and have it be good if we don't know when we're going to end it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think Avatar, since Avatar only did run three seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Then it probably benefits from that because you don't have the situation where the characters have to stay in one place. Yeah, for sure. It's good stuff. <laughs> it is. I also wanted to bring up Katara. We're kind of talking about the end of the episode and we were talking about the devastation that Aang witnesses. And then there's also Aang ends up saving the village right at the very end mm -hmm. with the trick with Unagi. But just before that, he also almost dies because of the Unagi. I did just want to touch on, I thought that scene was really cool because Katara... She she uses her powers in a way that we haven't seen before. And I thought it was interesting that you actually had in your notes, you, you consider that as using her water bending to heal. The bending has kind of reaped devastation <laughs> in all aspects. So it's whether it's been air bending, fire bending, water bending, they've all sort of been destructive in a way. But this was interesting that Katara used her waterbending in a healing nature this episode. When I saw that written down in your notes, it made me think of Rey in the latest Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker, which I know you haven't seen. <laughs> but she does, and I shared this with you because in this house we don't care about spoilers. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Neither of us care about spoilers, but I shared with you that she picks up this ability to force heal. And it reminded me of that, too. And I, I like that as a as a kind of power. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it is. It's, it's definitely something different that we haven't seen. I just realized we haven't seen earthbending yet. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't. I don't know anything about what earthbending is like. We will witness some more earthbending next episode. <laughs> I also noticed with Katara's waterbending, what I really liked was I talked about earlier how I thought this episode did a lot of foreshadowing and something really cool that I noticed was there's a bit when she is just sitting and she has a little basin of water and she's just kind of playing with it. Oh yeah. And she just kind of brings up a little bit and then puts it back down again and it's the same thing that she does when she's taking the water out of Aang. I, I didn't notice that. That's really cool. <laughs> Isn't it? I thought that was that was really neat that they they kind of foreshadowed that as well. Yeah, she used the same fluid motion with her hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of a cool thing too. Is the way she kind of does detail, right? Because with water bending, and I think even with air bending, it's like these bigger movements. But she does it on like a very fine scale, and then that's probably what helped her pull water out of his <laughs> windpipe which is what she did true that's very true you know <laughs> i don't know that many waterbenders would be <laughs> able to do that <laughs> right yeah she's pretty impressive and i just realized it also ties back to the sewing sewing is a, like a delicate thing too right with the needle <gasps> i love this <laughs> it all comes together i just love it when that happens Yes, me too. So it's her like delicate needlework and the, the delicate pulling out of the, the water. It's great. Katara can do both things, just kind of like Suki's a girl and a warrior. Katara has the sort of 
delicate, beautiful touch to what she does, but she can also have this very strong, almost masculine energy, like when she breaks open the iceberg in the first episode. So. Right, that was, and that was very much her like anger kind of coming out, and uh, that was a really big move. So yeah, you're right. Katara is very cool. We might be foreshadowing our MVP. I don't know. <laughs> Haven't decided yet. I don't even, I don't even think about my MVP until I go to record this podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> Which maybe I should do that. But, uh, <laughs> well, your mind might change while we're having a discussion. So that's true. That's true. Yeah. My favorite film critic, he does film of the week on his podcast. And he says that he only ever decides the film of the week, like just before uh, he has to answer the question at the end of the podcast, which is what is your <laughs> film of the week? So, you know, <laughs> that's my excuse. I just wanted to make one final <laughs> theme is that this whole episode is about the males learning to own up to their mistakes and do right by the women in their lives. And I really like that. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it like that with Aang. Yeah, because he does end up apologizing to Katar and saying, I was a jerk. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And he kind of was. <laughs> he was a little bit, but you know. He's also a 12-year-old who's getting female attention for the first time, so... <laughs> So I guess Zuko really needs a woman to put him in his place. <laughs> that's what we're saying. Oh, gosh. Not Azula, though. I don't know if that's a good idea. Oh, that's his sister. So, well, I don't know. I don't know anything about her. Although I know that she's supposedly a little crazy. So maybe that's why. I think Iroh is a great mentor for Zuko. And I think he just needs to listen more to Iroh. <laughs> Zuko's yeah. not a very good listener, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, and didn't the whole episode start with basically him saying to Iroh, like, you taught me that, that a good leader should always remain level-headed. He basically disregards that completely. We need you to uh, listen a little bit more, Zuko. I like how every episode we kind of, like, gently give Zuko, like, some advice <laughs> <laughs> to try to nudge him in the right direction. <laughs> Like the first one, we were like, maybe do some yoga. Like, we want the best for you, Zuko. You just, you're not doing a very good job right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And I do sometimes wonder if we're being too soft on Zuko, but I also know that he does go through an arc, and it's not like he's a Kylo Ren character. Sorry, Kylo Ren fans out there. <laughs> who just doesn't learn anything. Mm, um, yeah. So I feel like it's okay to to be a little bit less harsh on Zuko. I, yeah, I am being pretty lenient on him. He's done some really not great things <laughs> so far. But I think part of that, too, is just the fact that he's he's still a kid. So Yeah. And, you know, we as we find out, he's been banished. Mm-hmm. And clearly there's something going on there that we don't know about, but that's probably contributing to all his anger management issues. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do think yoga would be very helpful. He does a lot of like break dancing. Does he? His fire bending. He did it in this episode. He does like sort of a break dancing move and that is only exclusive to Zuko. He's the only one that fire bends that way. Oh, okay. I didn't notice that. To be honest, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to him in this episode because he was under his helmet a lot of the time. Oh yeah, he was. Which I feel like makes me forget that it's him. And I actually, I was looking up something else for this episode and I ended up going on a trivia page and it said that this is one of the few episodes where he does wear his helmet because apparently he doesn't wear it very often. No, he doesn't. Yeah, I think that also contributed to my feeling like he wasn't really well developed in this episode because the helmet too kind of just hides the character you know because you don't get to see the the burnt eye you don't get to see the vulnerability yeah he just becomes kind of like a figure sure yeah but you can definitely look out for his signature fire bending moves in the future because he does that a lot and i like that they gave him a very specific way of fire bending that nobody else does yeah that is cool i like that too so are we ready to move on? Yeah, we can do MVP now. <laughs> okay, all right. So I thought about this a lot. That's not true. I thought about this just now. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, the MVP of this episode 
is Sookie. That was my MVP too. <laughs> ah! <laughs> we, we always have the same MVP. We do. <laughs> I think she's the MVP because she really is the catalyst for a lot of things that happen in this episode. And she most importantly leads Sokka to his realization about gender stereotypes and about how he should respect girls and all the different things that girls can do, which includes sewing and also include being a warrior. Yeah, I love this introduction to Suki. And we were talking about this, how Avatar rarely ever introduces someone in an episode and then they don't come back. So I'm really glad that it's not just like these one-off characters that only appear once and you're like, that person was really cool. Why don't we get to see more of them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was thinking about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I watched. Um, I've seen it all the way through once, especially in the first season. It's very like monster of the week. Mm, yeah. And there are a lot of characters who you meet and then you never see them again. And in that case, those characters are kind of thinly drawn anyway, so it's not that bad. But sometimes there, were, there are some characters who you kind of wish you had a little bit more time with them. And I, I feel like that's really valuable. And I think it's also good for if a TV show can recognize which characters worked and should come back. Like that happened a lot with Lost. There were characters who were introduced who were supposed to be like just a few episodes and they ended up becoming really important characters in the show because the, the showrunners were able to recognize that like this character is working, we should keep them in. Yeah, and I like that Suki's not just like this mentor for Sokka. Like, they could have just used her as a sort of propping up of Sokka, but I don't feel like that's their intention with her at all. Like, she feels fully fleshed out as a character on her own. Yeah, she's her own person, and she she doesn't really need Sokka. She doesn't. <laughs> he's, a, he's an added bonus. <laughs> yeah. And I happen to know, because I'm a spoiler hound but I didn't specifically look for this just being on the internet I heard about this I happen to know that Sokka does have a girlfriend at some point so I'm wondering if it's her because they did have that little kiss at the end which apparently was his first kiss that's what it says in the trivia that I was does it really at. oh that's cute <laughs> that's really cute <laughs> shout out to what was it avatar wiki I think was what I was on <laughs> and I ended up accidentally reading the, the trivia section, but it says that it was his first kiss, so that's really cute. Aw, that's adorable. So what I'm saying is if he wants to date her, I won't be mad. Sokka's kind of a ladies' man. Like, unintentionally. <laughs> so we'll get to see him interact with more than just Suki. <laughs> oh, okay. I see, I see, I see. Well, you know, I hope any other girlfriends are as good as Suki. <laughs> oh, they are. <laughs> Good, good. Okay, so what about most memorable moment? I feel like this one, I don't know. I feel like my answer is really obvious. I don't know if you have a different one, but... I don't know. I feel like most memorable is hard because sometimes I'm like, I want to do the funniest one or I want to do like <laughs> the most profound moment, but I'll talk about a funny one this time, okay. which is when the guy was trying to draw the portrait of Aang. <laughs> And people kept showing up. The admirers kept showing up. Just the animation of that scene, how he would hold up the paper and start drawing and then bring it down and more people would appear. Like the direction of that was so hilarious to me. And the voice acting, how he was like mumbling under his breath, like, oh, I'm going to draw the avatar. And <laughs> oh, another person appeared. <laughs> like... I was in stitches laughing. It was just so funny to me. <laughs> that was a really good scene. Yeah, so mine was going to be a funny one too. I couldn't pick anything better than Foamy Mouth Guy. <laughs> to me, that's the most memorable moment. I'm sorry. I love it. <laughs> I think you had told me that it was coming up soon. Mm -hmm. But I had forgotten about it. And then when it happened, I was just like, oh my god, this is it. This is the moment. <laughs> It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. I will say that the fact that I knew that scene was coming did not make it any less epic. So that's one of the reasons why I have quite a controversial stance on spoilers, which is that I don't think spoilers ruin a show or a movie or whatever, because I feel like if the moment is good, I feel like it holds up even if you've been spoiled. 
We are on the same page there. That's probably another reason why we're such good friends. (laughs) (laughs) Because we like send spoilers to each other. We do. We're weird. Okay. (laughs) We can just admit that. When I first started watching Game of Thrones, the first thing I did was go online and find out everything that happens in the books. (laughs) Well, I feel like part of that is just like for fanfic research purposes <laughs> well that was even before i was writing fanfic this was like okay. really at the beginning like literally the first few episodes because you you were the one who told me to watch game of thrones and i was already online googling like okay what happens to danny <laughs> and then i found out about the red wedding and i still let rob become my favorite character so all i'm saying is spoilers don't affect us they just don't <laughs> they don't they don't matter and I'm sorry if you are a person who really doesn't like to be spoiled about things. And I will try not to spoil things. But also, I feel like everything we talk about on this podcast is kind of past the statute of limitations on yeah. spoilers. It's been over 15 years, so I think we're good. <laughs> and even Star Wars. That was out, like, what, six months ago? So, uh, that rant aside, we are now... On Apple Podcasts, that's something that we wanted to share with you guys. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay! And actually, somebody's already listening on Apple Podcasts. I don't know who they are, but uh, at least one person is already listening from our stats. So, shout out to you. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you would give us a review. Preferably five stars. Could we please not go any lower than four? Thanks, that'd be great. <laughs> we are also on Twitter. I apologize because last week I said that our Twitter handle was Ember Island Sayers, which it is not because that is too long for Twitter, apparently. Our Twitter handle is at Ember Sayers. We will also include it in the episode description. And we are working on getting our YouTube channel up. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this episode, it should be up and running. Any questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions, you can send to emberislandsayers at gmail.com. Even if it's just to tell me off about spoilers. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Uh, This is really fun. And I'm looking forward to next week, which we're going to be talking about... Episode 5, The King of Omashu. Ooh, okay. Which is the Earth Kingdom, so... Okay, so we'll learn a little bit more about the Earth Kingdom and we'll find out who the king of Amashu is and what he's about. Oh boy. (laughs) That's all I have to say. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) But it's like a kind of good oh boy. I don't know. We'll see how this episode holds up. It's not one of my favorites. I'll admit that. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see if we can find find the good stuff in it. Oh, there's good stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, until next time, thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. Stay flaming. Stay flaming.